It's good to see you. I'm glad to be back. It's been about six years since I've had the uh, opportunity to be here, so uh, great to be back with you. It's still good to be with my friend Chris. Chris and I have been friends for 35 years, and uh, we're more than just friends. We're brothers. And um, he mentioned the fact that we're twin brothers, but I'm the better-looking twin, as you can see. And uh, but good to be with you, Chris and Cindy, and uh, glad to be back with you. So if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm going to read one verse this morning, just a little bit later uh, in my introduction. Uh, we'll be in verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Most of us, we like to be certain about life. We want to be certain about things. And, and there are a few things in life that we can be certain about. And there are a few things that we can do that with. But I want you to know this morning that most of life is uncertain. We like to be predictable. We like to be in the know. We like to know all the facts. We like to have things all figured out. But I, I think most of life is lived in the dark, is lived in the gray, and uh, there's not a lot of certainty in a few things. You know, there are a lot of young people here this morning, and right now you have your health, and you probably have perfect health. And one of the things that is uncertain about life is your health in years to come. There is uncertainty about careers. I mean, all the time we hear of people losing jobs and getting laid off. Uh, just because you get hired and you land that great job doesn't mean that you're going to be secure in that. Also, the future. The future is very, very unclear, very uncertain. Uh, we don't know what the future holds. And so there's a lot of uncertainty with that. And, and that tends to make us feel uncomfortable. Another way that perhaps we find a lot of uncertainty is with death. Now, we do know that we're going to die we just don't know when that's going to be and how it's going to happen. We live in the realm of uncertainty, and we're really uncomfortable with that. But this morning, I want you to know there's one thing that you can be certain about. It may surprise you, but you can be certain about it. And you can be certain about your eternity. You can be certain about your soul. You can be certain about your salvation. You can be certain that you have a relationship with God. You can be certain that you have received Christ as Savior. You can be certain that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. You can be certain of that. I talk to people all the time who say, Reggie, I, I think I'm saved or I hope I'm saved. But that's not the way the Bible talks about salvation. If you are really saved, you can know that you're saved. And, and, and knowing that is not only possible... It's necessary. In order for you to be what God wants you to be, in order for you to live the Christian life the way God wants you to live it, you have to have the certainty of your salvation. It's necessary for joy. It's necessary for fruitfulness. It's necessary for growth. You can know that you're saved, and it's not only something that is possible, it is necessary. The Apostle Paul had that assurance. That's what we read about in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He had the assurance of his salvation. And let me read that for us this morning. And I want to unpack this for us. Because maybe you're here today and you're, you're struggling with this issue. You're struggling with this question. 
You're struggling with whether or not you are saved. But listen to how Paul says it in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him on that day. So here what we find is Paul is speaking of his own assurance. He is speaking, speaking of the certainty of his salvation. And notice the word no. Paul says, I know, I know whom I have believed. That word no is a word that means absolute settled knowledge. What Paul is saying is there's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind that I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. There's no doubt in my mind that I have secured and received eternal life. There's no doubt in my mind that when I die, I'm going to heaven. For Paul, this was absolute. It was something that he had settled in his heart. It was something that he had total and complete assurance of. And you can too. You see, your salvation, your relationship with God, where you spend eternity should not be something that is uncertain. It's something that you can know for sure, something absolutely. But I also want you to notice Paul uses the word convinced. That word convinced is a word that means fixed position. Paul was fixed on the status of his salvation and the knowledge of his salvation. And then I want you to notice that word in trust. Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted. That word entrusted, it's a, it's a banking term. And it's a word that means to make a deposit or to commit to. And that's exactly, that's precisely what you and I do when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We entrust our lives. We entrust our hearts. And we entrust our souls to him. We commit ourselves to him. And Paul is saying, what I have given to Christ, what I've entrusted to him, what I've committed to him, he is going to guard it. I am fixed on this. I am settled on this. I have absolute knowledge of where I stand with God. You say, Reggie, that sounds good. All that sounds good. You're telling me that I need to get saved and I need to be assured of that. You're telling me that I can have the certainty of my salvation, but are there handles? Is there something tangible? Is there something real that I can put my hands on to let me know if I'm really saved? Absolutely. I want to share with you three ways this morning that you can know if you're really saved. First of all, you can know that you're saved because of the work of Christ. And I'm not just talking about his work for you on the cross. That is the reason we're saved. But I'm talking about post-resurrection. I'm talking about the, the living Jesus coming into your heart and becoming real to you and what that does and what that means. And what that means is, is a changed life. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, new creation. That word, that phrase, new creation, is a, is a phrase that means a, a converted person. It means a person who has been changed. It means that you don't do life the way you used to do it. You see, when you get saved, there should be a change in your life. When you get saved, there should be an immediate change. When you get saved, things should be different. 
But not only is there an instantaneous change when you get saved, throughout your life you ought to be changing. That's what, that's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is talking about. It's talking about something that's definite in the past, a definite decision that you and I make to give our lives to Jesus. But then there's this ongoing process, how you're constantly changing. And that change, it's outward. It's noticeable. But not only is it noticeable, but it's an inner thing. You see, when you come to Christ, there's an outward change, but there's also that inner change that's probably more huge than the outward change. Because not only will people start seeing a difference in your life, those outward things that you should display, but also there's something that happens inward. You, you become a brand new person. You have a new motivation. You have new desires. You look at life differently. There's something that is inward that drives that, that outward change that people begin to see and notice in you. Paul says you become a new creation. There's an instantaneous change. There's ongoing change. There's that inward change that manifests itself in that outward change. And that's what we call fruit. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16, by their fruit, you will know them. So you want to know if you're saved? You want to be certain of that? You want to be sure of that? If you're really saved, there will be fruit in your life. Because Jesus says, by their fruit, you will know them. So the question this morning is, is there fruit in your life? Is there something about your life that depicts you as a Christian, that depicts you as someone who has been born again. You see, that inner change should manifest itself in some outward changes. And if there's no fruit in your life this morning, then you need to seriously evaluate whether or not you're a Christian. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul said that we are to examine ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. So you've got to ask yourself a question this morning. Is there fruit in my life? Is there something that has been staring in my heart since I've professed to be a Christian? Is there something staring in my heart that, that depicts a desire for God, a desire to grow, a desire to serve Him? Is there an outward change in my life that manifests itself in fruit? In my backyard in California, I have several fruit trees. I have a peach tree, and I have a grapefruit tree. I have a, a lemon tree. I have a fig tree. But my favorite is my avocado tree. It's huge. We bought this house almost 20 years ago. And this tree, when we bought the house, it was already huge. And I noticed the first year it didn't bear fruit. And I thought, what's wrong with this tree? Well, and then I found out that nothing was wrong with the tree. It takes avocados, avocado trees years to begin to bear fruit. So about five or six years ago, we began to to see avocados. In the first year, we had about 20 avocados on there. Okay. Next year, there was more. Next year, there was more. Next year, there was more. And last year, I had the biggest crop of avocados I've ever had. And this year, it's real lean because avocado trees, once they produce heavily, they, they take a break. And this year, I only have a few pieces of fruit on the avocado tree. Now, that raises questions. That raises questions about the health of the tree. 
It raises questions about the life of the tree. And I know that that avocado tree is alive, even though it didn't bear fruit the way it did last year. I know that that tree is alive because it does have a few avocados on it. So I I know that it's alive. The same is true in your life. You may look at your life and go, Reggie, there's not a lot of fruit in my life. But there is that small desire to love God, to serve God, to seek God, to pursue Him. And I just want you to know this. If there's any small amount of desire in your life to serve and to please God, that means you're saved. Here's what happens. When you become a Christian, Jesus Christ lives in you. That's what Paul means by, if anyone is in Christ. That phrase in Christ is a phrase that means that you are united to Christ. And if you are united to Christ... His life lives in you. And if his life is in you, that is going to produce some fruit, some change in your life. There's going to be evidence that you're saved. So there's the work of Christ. You say, Reggie, how can I know that I'm really saved? It's the work of Christ. He's working in your life. He's working in your heart. He's he's producing a desire to, to live for him. But there's a second way that you can know if you're really saved. And that is... The witness of the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, Paul says this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, not only when you become saved, not only do you receive eternal life. You receive another gift. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The moment that you're saved, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls this the baptism of the Spirit. You see, there's the baptism of the Spirit, which happens one time. It happens at the moment of salvation. And then there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you're filled every single day. As you surrender yourself to Christ, He fills you with His Holy Spirit. That happens throughout your life. But what, what Paul is talking about is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you become saved, you receive the Holy Spirit in your life. The Bible says that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit lives in us. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he testifies. He bears witness to that you're saved. The Holy Spirit gives you that assurance that you're God's child. And just as fruit is important, what we mean here is a feeling. Now, I want to clarify something. I want to make sure we we have something straight this morning. You're not saved by your feelings. Feelings don't save. You're not sustained by your feelings. You see, some days you might feel saved and other days you may not. Some days you might feel the presence of God. Some days you may not. Some days you might feel the joy of the Lord and some days you may not. Your salvation is not based on your feelings. But what I mean by this is, is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and the Holy Spirit gives you this feeling. The Holy Spirit gives you this assurance that you are a child of God. You know, a few weeks ago, one of the greatest evangelists of all time, Billy Graham, died. And years ago, uh, I read this in a book. He used the illustration of a, of a kite. And he talked about this kid who went outside one day to, to fly his kite. And the kite got so high, the kid could no longer see it. And he didn't know if the kite was there or not. And all he had to do was just tug on the string. And when he tugged on the string, he knew that the kite was there. The same thing is true in your heart and my heart. When it comes to salvation 
It's not something that we see per se. It, It may not even be something that we can really explain to other people. But there is that tugging in your heart. There's that tugging in your heart that that lets you know that you're born again. It's almost as though if somebody were to ask you, are you saved? And you say yes. And they say, explain it. You go, I can't. I just know I am. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit tugs on your heart. That's called the witness of the Holy Spirit. He lives in your heart and he assures you that you're saved. And so, how can you know that you're saved? You know that you're saved by the work of Christ. And you can know that you're saved by the witness of the Spirit. And then number three, you can know that you're saved because of the Word of God. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. Listen to what John says. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this this testimony in his heart. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, did you hear what John just said? John is saying that we have this witness. We just talked about the witness of the Holy Spirit, but, but John talks about another witness. It's the witness of the Word of God. It's the testimony of God. And John says, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Notice he didn't say, I hope or I think. John said that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you know that? Well, you know that because of the Word of God. The Word of God tells us how to be saved. The Word of God is clear about the gospel. The the Word of God lays out the specifics on what you and I need to do to be saved. And if we have done that, the Bible says that we are saved. If we have trusted Jesus, if we have received Jesus into our heart as our Lord and Savior, if we have done what the Word of God says, if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we are saved. You see, not only is your salvation not based on your feelings. Your salvation is not based on your works. It's not based on how good you are. You see, maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you feel like you're not saved or you're doubting your salvation. It may be that you're not saved. Or it could be that you're just not walking with God. Or it could be that you don't understand salvation. But I want you to know something. Your salvation is based on faith in Christ, what he did for you on the cross. Your salvation is not based on being a member of First Baptist Church of Ruston. Your salvation is not based on church membership. It's not based on your your baptism. It's not based on how many times a week you come to church. It's not based on how active you are in the youth group or the college group. Your salvation is not based on how good you act at school or on your job. Your salvation has nothing to do with your goodness. It has nothing to do with your religious rituals or how religious you are. Your salvation is based on your faith in Christ. And I, I have a feeling that a lot of people doubt their salvation because they're basing their salvation on the wrong thing. And as a result, they're really not saved. 
Some years ago, Billy Graham said something that was very disturbing to the American church. It was a dramatic statement. It was a controversial statement. And he made the comment that he believed that 50% of the people who go to church have never been born again, have never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And while that stirred up some controversy in some people's minds, it stayed out there. And then years later, a man by the name of George Barna, who runs the Barna Institute, who does research uh, with churches, he did some research, did some surveys, came up with some empirical data to prove that 50% of the people in church have never been born again. They're good people. They've been baptized. They're, they're, they, they've joined the church. They do good stuff. But what Bonner and Billy Graham discovered is, is that they don't really have the assurance of their salvation. And, and maybe this morning you're doubting your salvation. Maybe this morning you're doubting your salvation because it's not based on what the Word of God says. If you've done what the Word of God says to be saved, then you are saved. John says that we have the testimony of God. If we have the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. You see, your faith ought to be in what the Bible, God's Word, says. You see, there are a lot of things about life that perhaps we don't remember or we don't have good memory about it or we know very little about it, but we have evidence that it's real. I have different documents at home and in my office and certificates and uh, those documents, they prove certain things. For example, in my file at home, I have a birth certificate. I don't remember when I was born. I know that I'm born because I'm standing here right now. But I don't know what that was like. I know my birthday, but I don't remember being born. But I have a birth certificate that proves that I'm born. Tells me where I was born, when I was born, what time I was born, and all of that. That's a testimony of my life, a testimony that I was born. It gives all the evidence when, where, how, who the parents were, and all that. Hanging in my hall at home, I have a marriage certificate. I got married 29 years ago, and I remember some about that day. Chris probably remembers more. He was in my wedding. I remember something about that day. I don't remember everything. But I have no doubt in the world that I'm married because I have a marriage certificate that says I'm married. That's sealed by the state of California. Also, I've been in, I was in school for a number of years, and I have a few degrees hanging on my wall. Union University, Southwestern Seminary, Fuller Seminary, that say I have a degree. Those are testimonies and evidence that I really graduated from those schools and, and got the degrees that I espouse. Those are testimonies. You know what John says? John says, you have the testimony of, of men, but the testimony of God is greater. And just as all those certificates that I have clarify, give proof to, certain aspects of my life, this book, the Word of God, is God's testimony that I'm saved. God's Word tells us how to be saved. And if we've done what God's Word says, then we're saved. You say, Reggie, I'm one of those individuals. I'm struggling with this. I just came to the realization that I'm not a child of God. I, I go to church. I've been baptized. I've done some good things. But, Reggie, I, I don't have that assurance that you're talking to talking about. What do I need to do? 
to have that assurance. What do I need to do? What are the steps I need to take? It's very simple. First of all, you need to admit that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and, and have fallen short of the glory of God. You and I are sinners by, by nature, choice, and practice. God sees us as sinners. He's holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. And we're, we're sinners in His eyes because He's the perfect standard and we can't meet the standard. The only way we can meet the standard is through Christ. The second thing is you have to realize that there's a penalty for sin. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. For sin, there's a consequence, there's a penalty. Because God's holy and God is just. And then thirdly, you need to recognize that Jesus paid the price for you. There is a penalty for sin, but you don't have to pay it. Jesus paid it for you. He took the consequences for you. He paid the price for you. And then fourthly, you have to receive Jesus as your Savior. It's not enough just to believe in what he did. But you have to personally trust this Jesus who died for you and receive him into your heart. And John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. I wonder today how many of you would be honest with me. I wonder how many of you today are willing to, to examine yourself, to see if you're really in the faith. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who would just blatantly say, Reggie, I'm not a Christian and I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I wonder if there's someone here today who's doubting their salvation and they don't have that absolute, settled, convinced knowledge that the Apostle Paul had about his salvation. And you're saying, Reggie, I'm not really sure. I want to make sure this morning that you have an opportunity To be sure, you can do that right here and right now. You can just settle that this morning. You can leave here today knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing that you have eternal life, knowing that you're going to go to heaven if you die. If you don't have that assurance, I wouldn't leave here today until I've had that assurance. So right now, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to just invite you to everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here this morning, and if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... If you're here this morning and you say, Reggie, I'm a church member, but man, I'm doubting my salvation. I'm doubting whether or not I'm saved. I'm doubting whether or not Jesus Christ is really my Savior. Well, let's not doubt any longer. Let's just, let's seal it. Let's settle it right here this morning. God loves you. God wants you to be his child. And he's made a way for you to do it. So right where you're sitting, I want you to just pray this prayer in your heart, or you can just voice it out loud. But I want you to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you and confess that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. And I realize there's nothing I can do about it except come to you. I realize, Jesus, that you died on the cross. You paid the price for my sins. You stood in my place. You took the judgment that I deserved. You took the penalty that should have been mine. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you love me. 
So dear Jesus, all the things that I've been trusting, I no longer trust for my salvation. Right now, dear Jesus, I trust you. I open my life to you. And I receive you into my heart. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior.